Hi, I'm Melissa Minko, and you're listening to Love and Dating Shows. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Love and Dating Shows. I am so excited. I feel like I say that every time, but it's even more genuine this time because I have Alyssa Meraki sitting with me virtually tonight. Um, also, did I say your last name right? Yep, that's okay. it. That's okay. It. <laughs> awesome. Good deal. Um, I should always ask that beforehand, but I end up always asking it kind of in the middle. Um, Alyssa and I actually know each other through Instagram. We've never met in person, but we have developed a very special friendship because I was one of her adoring fans back in 2014 um, when she was competing in bodybuilding and inspiring me with all her workouts. And she's still doing that, but now she's inspiring me in a million other ways. And I just That's was kind so of- nice of you. I'm embarrassed <laughs> right now. Oh, no. Are you blushing virtually? <laughs> a, uh, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you know, I mean, you always do such a great job of sparking conversation in your comment section. And I have been so loyally dedicated to participating and making sure that other people are tuning into those conversations because I just am so obsessed with the human experience and all the little details that you're able to kind of carve a space for in this amazing Instagram platform that not everyone takes advantage of in the best way all the time. So, um, yeah. So do you want to, thank you for saying that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a bit more formally? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, let me say that, uh, Melissa's amazing. She was actually on my podcast, uh, which is a podcast called weirdly specific. I've taken a hiatus from it for a while. Um, But after we recorded our podcast, we had a small conversation after where I basically said, we need to do a podcast together in general, because we just bounce off of one another so well, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like, we need to have an Alyssa and Melissa show. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, my name is Alyssa. I think the way that I'd explain myself is that I'm a lifelong learner and a lifelong teacher. Um, Mm -hmm. My whole life, that's how I've kind of seen myself. You know, I can remember being in kindergarten. And I would get up and I'd, you know, walk around and ask how other students were doing. And it got to the point where in first grade, I would finish all my work and I'd get up and, and I'd go to other students and ask them if they needed help. And my teacher, <laughs> Mrs. Grassi, would say, Alyssa, you're not the teacher. And I would say, well, I want to be. Um, and so I think that's a big piece of kind of who I am. Um, in addition to, I try to soak up, if, if you know, if people collect things, maybe they collect shoes or they collect spoons or they collect video <laughs> games. I don't know, whatever it is. I collect experiences, meaning I, I, I collect people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really interested in as well, the human experience. I'm really interested in who people are. I want to absorb a little bit of every single person that I meet. So I ask a lot of questions. I'm very inquisitive. Um, I guess just from a pragmatic point of view, I work in tech in the Bay area, California. I, I've been married to my wonderful husband, Kyle. Uh, it'll be about, it's about two and a half years now. Mm-hmm. And we live here with our two Welsh corgis and our two cats and our two <laughs> guinea pigs. So that's, that's a little about me. The mini farm situation. I love it so much. It's true. So great. <laughs> so great. Um, well, I'm yeah so excited to get into these questions, especially given that you are married and have been married for a couple of years now. Uh, you're actually, I think, the first person on this podcast that's married that I'll be interviewing. Oh, so that's awesome. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, so my first question is just, what is love to you? How would you define it? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a super romantic ideal of love, to be honest. Um, I, I think love is a choice. Um, mm-hmm. I think love is a daily choice. I think it ebbs and flows. 
if I had to explain at least my love with my husband, I think it comes down to us being able to wade in the muck together, um, knowing that situations are hard, knowing that we can't control our environment or that we can only do our very best in this world, but that we choose to do it together. And I think that choice is this energy that binds us together. And so I don't know if that's maybe what you want to hear or maybe what other maybe like lovesick and hopeless romantic folks want to hear. I think my perception of love today as, you know, a 29 year old is wildly different from what I thought it was when I was, you know, with my first boyfriend in, in high school. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. But I want you to elaborate on that. How, how does it differ? If you can remember, if you kind of can crawl back into that high school, Alyssa's skin for a second. Yeah. I mean, I think I was so desperate for someone's commitment and dedication and I wanted someone to be obsessed with me. Mm. Um, I think I wanted so badly to be validated. I, there were pieces of me that, um, I didn't like. And so I wanted someone else to, you know, to find other things to adore about me instead of me trying my very best to love who I was first. Um, so I thought that love was transactional, I guess. I mean, whether I recognize that or not, I think if I look in hindsight, I thought love was transactional. Um, I thought love was also about, um, I guess, um, again, back to the idea of transaction, right? I guess it was about, I give this and so I deserve this back. And mm-hmm. I actually don't think that anyone deserves anything. <laughs> like I don't, yeah. um, I think that you can want things and I think that you can, you know, express your needs and desires, but I don't think that anyone deserves anything anymore. Um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I was, I was really, uh, I was, I was, you know, lovesick and my very first boyfriend cheated on me like, other men that I dated and um, I blamed myself, you know, mm. I, if, if only I were better then they would love me more. And that honestly, that's not love at all, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it just shows a lot of progress. I always think about the different times that I've been rejected and I've gone through phases where I'll be rejected by someone and I immediately point the blame at myself and think, oh, I wasn't good enough in this way, or I wasn't, you know, this for them. And lately I've turned 30 this past year. And lately when that happens now, I I notice that pattern doesn't exist for me anymore. It's never a question of what did I do wrong? I mean, there's always room for accountability and growth and learning. Absolutely. But I'm never really immediately pointing the finger at myself anymore, which I think just shows kind of a readiness more so for love and less so seeking out validation. And it's actually, it always ends up being so timely, the reading that I do for this podcast. And then the recordings that I have, because the passage I was reading today from um, the psychology of romantic love was saying that so many people confuse seeking validation for seeking love. And they're completely different. And when you're seeking validation, it's because, you know, there is a piece of you that might be feeling incomplete, or you're feeling inadequate in some way. And so you need someone to kind of validate that for you. But when you're actually seeking love, it's because you already have so much self-love and so much self-compassion and the proper amount of self-esteem. And instead, when you're seeking love, it's more about this kind of sense of purpose that comes from a desire to actually see all of your positive traits mirrored back to you in the way that you feel you have them. So it's like this visibility more so than it is validation. That's really interesting. I, 
uh, as you were speaking, I was actually thinking about that image of a mirror. So it's interesting that you brought it up at the end too, because I, I was just having a conversation with someone today actually um, about how uh, oftentimes when we, we feel inferior to someone mm-hmm. else, it's because we actually want to see the things that we like mirrored back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if in all cases, seeing yourself in a mirror is actually healthy. Like, you know, I, I had a, a boyfriend when I was in uh, college who I thought was my soulmate, someone who mm-hmm. really taught me about mm-hmm. my own, I mean, basically let me be me and really treasured and celebrated me, taught me you know, even the idea that like sex was for me too, or that, Mm -hmm. you know, taught me that um, I was beautiful and worthwhile and all these things. Right. And um, I was obsessed with this person. I thought they're my soulmate. I'm going to be with them forever. Mm -hmm. But they showed me so many pieces of who I was and where I was lacking and where I was still insecure. And Mm -hmm. all of those things um, became a self-fulfilling prophecy for me. And I pushed him away. Um, we, We broke up, you know, he broke up with me because he was like, you can't handle being alone, you know? Um, And it was so interesting to me that like love in that moment, that the mirror that Mm self-love brings actually wasn't healthy for me. Um, Yeah. But I think now I'm in a space where when my husband Kyle mirrors for me what I'm doing, or I can see clearly how my behaviors are uh, reflecting off of or informing the actions that he takes, I recognize, and I think I have a lot more accountability now for, you know, this is a push and pull. I can't mm-hmm. act in a vacuum and then expect this person when I've son- when I've said something rude to just be okay with that. Right. Right. Um, I, I think I've taken, so if, you know, to go back to the original question, what is love? I think when I'm, when I say that love is a choice, I think a lot of people say that, right. But really mm-hmm. it's about a choice to be accountable to someone else too. Mm-hmm. Um, not just commitment, right? But actually like how I choose to treat this person is a reflection of me and I am accountable for those things. And that's, that's heavy. And mm-hmm. I think that's why relationships sometimes fall because they're like, I don't want to be accountable for what I do to this person and how they react, you know? Totally. Yeah, no, that dynamic that you're contributing to can be a bit too much sometimes when it is mirrored back to you. And, and that's where, I mean, a mirror can be a really positive thing. It can also be a really difficult thing. Um, I don't want to say negative because I don't think it's ever necessarily negative if it's contributing to some sort of reflection, but it literally and figuratively, but it is um, a really trying experience. And sometimes it leads to growth and other times it just completely leads to demise. And that's what I'm always wondering though, is kind of where is the nuance there? Like, what is the difference between, you know, that previous boyfriend and then Kyle, where the reflection worked really well for you versus it kind of was self-destructive in some ways? I mean, I think they were, they were different people too. Um, It has to be with the right person in the right time, in the right context. Um, You know, that, that first partner, though they were wonderful, that was not at the right point in my life. I was an undergrad. I was not ready to get married. He was not ready to get married. Um, I, and I had so much work to do internally as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. after we broke up, I went through my whole fitness journey, which is how you and I originally, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, met. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like when I met Kyle, I was in grad school. I was living alone by myself, completely away from my family. Um, I was in a different place 
mm-hmm. not to say that it was easy. It wasn't. I mean, there have been a lot of um, difficult kind of moments in our relationship, but we've done them together. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the second piece would be, I never quite felt secure in my relationship with my, you know, my undergrad boyfriend because we weren't ready to be secure with one another. Neither of us mm-hmm. were. And, and with Kyle, I've never once questioned how he felt about me. Like he was so upfront. There were no games, you know, here we are on a podcast talking about the game of, of dating. Right. Um, and what was so different about my relationship is that there really was no game. Um, it was clear. It was, it was forward. It was direct from the beginning. It was, I like you, you like me, let's be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it felt so easy. At least in the beginning. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, and that's also, I mean, that's kind of what's interesting about love, too, is it's almost like fitness in the sense that the better you get at it, the harder it can actually become because you get better at it and you start discovering different things about each other and you learn how to kind of productively argue and this and that. But because of that, you're also able to tackle bigger challenges together. So it kind of gets harder in that sense in a positive way. Um, but it's, that's kind of interesting. You also, so you're kind of making me think about timing really differently because I've always in last week's episode, I was talking with a relationship therapist and I was asking her about timing. And I've always kind of felt that timing is a myth when it comes to compatibility. And I've always, I'm a very black and white thinker, um, which is not a good thing by any means, but it's definitely a place where I'll say, oh, well, if, if someone says they're not ready for a relationship, then they just don't think you're the one for them. You know, they don't, they don't think you're worth kind of fighting for and growing in that moment. But what you're bringing up is a whole different kind of take on timing, which is kind of just inevitable aspects. And no matter how hard you can want to work at something or how ready you can feel to grow, I mean, there's certain pieces to this that now you're kind of bringing to light that are just almost uncontrollables, which I think is really interesting. So I'm kind of curious what your take is on timing. Do you believe it's a very real thing? Or do you think if you walked by Kyle, you know, 10 years ago, you would you wouldn't be passing him by because no matter how bad the timing was, he's just your person. Like what's kind of your perspective on that? No, I think Kyle was a dick, um, <laughs> you know, back in like 2007, <laughs> 2008, truly. Um, I, I, we've, he and I have this conversation all the time. I would never have given him a second look if I had met him, if I had met him at the same time that I had met, you know, my, my, my college boyfriend, um, I wouldn't have, I would have found him so annoying because I know what he was like when he was that age, right? Yeah. Like when he's a couple of years older than me, but he was also in college, mm-hmm. right? Or he, I think he had just finished up college. When did I graduate? I graduated from college and I was totally wrong, not 2007, 2008. Um, I graduated from college in 2012. Mm-hmm. So he graduated um, 2011. He was a super senior. He had taken his uh, a fifth year. Got it. Because um, he's a couple of years older than me. So yeah, I mean, like 2010, 2011, I probably would have found him annoying. He was on, you know, he was a decathlete. He partied all the time. Um, he was not into commitment, not at all. Mm. I think if I had even met him a year before we had met, I would have written him off. Though I found him attractive, right? He was not in, he was not looking to commit to anyone. Before Kyle and I met, he actually took about six months of um, a decision to be celibate. Mm. He chose to stop dating, to stop sleeping around. Um, he got right back into the gym. He spent time alone by himself. He stopped doing, he stopped it all. Awesome. Like stopped going to bars, yeah. stopped drinking, stopped everything. And then that's when we met. 
I was like the pretty much the first date that he went on. Um, so yeah, I mean, for us, I'm not saying that's the same in every instance, but um, I think for us, I would have never been with him had it not been at the right time at the right place. Yeah, I really don't. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, people keep dispelling this for me. So I really need to change my tune on timing. Uh, but it's it's just so fascinating to me. And then the other thing I thought that was really interesting that you mentioned was a choice to be kind of accountable to someone um, and making decisions together, kind of wade through that muck together, like you said. And that's another topic I'm interested in is just this concept of sacrifice, given how much you might love someone. I mean, you have had to make a lot of decisions career-wise for each other back and forth. I've, I've kind of been following that journey of yours. And I'm just wondering, does it still feel do those decisions feel like a sacrifice when it's for your person or is it only a sacrifice when maybe the person isn't as compatible for you? Like what do those choices feel like? Yes, they're still choices, but how difficult do they feel when you know you're doing it for someone that's deserving of it? That's an interesting question because something that you're saying there is um, that perhaps something feels like more of a sacrifice if that person is not, already compatible with you right so there that is to say if someone is wildly different from you maybe in their dreams and aspirations you could still be together if you're heading the same direction Mm -hmm. but if you start making different directions it's probably far less likely that you'll stay together than if you were already compatible whatever Mm -hmm. right yeah that's a really interesting concept i mean it's like it's an if-then statement right Mm -hmm. so and i know that you like to think in black and white and i maybe (laughs) in a bit more of the critical theorist, right? Which is but, good. Um, mm-hmm. but I do think, um, you know, it's interesting because you had asked me, you know, kind of in preparing for this to think about the concept of unconditional love. Yes. And I actually think that was the hardest thing for me to actually parse through. Hmm. Uh, I spent a quite a while like staring at that question and writing <laughs> my response kind of because I'm taking, I was taking notes for myself, right? Yeah. And and so kind of where I where I ended up was, this idea that um, I don't think that romantic love is unconditional. And this, um, this fits in with your, this question, yeah. because I think what, what it, I think when, when we say that something is unconditional, it means that like no sacrifice is too big um, mm-hmm. that I choose no matter what, based on any condition, you know, for the most part um, to choose our love over anything else. And I, um, I love my husband. Mm-hmm. We have a wonderful relationship, but I also recognize that if, if something happened where we chose different life paths, like if my husband decided all of a sudden, you know, that he wanted to be in a rock band and move to LA or like, I would be gone, mm. you know, because I'm just like, this is no longer the life direction that we made a decision to do together. Yeah. And so I think it all comes back to, you know, my husband is a personal trainer. He's changed his career since we first met. He had a full-time corporate career, right? I was teaching. Um, I've, I've transitioned now into tech and he owns his own business and he's made a couple different changes from going from a, you know, a corporate gym to a private gym to now owning a gym. And, um, so, you know, all the while we have been continually supporting one another, because I think we have the mutual shared value of stability for our family. Mm. And, and I think, so it comes back to like, 
you know, it's not sacrifice if it's a shared value, right? <laughs> sacrifice to me is giving away something that maybe is against my core values. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I don't know if my love could be unconditional. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because if, I, if, if we're basing my, my definition of love on like love being a choice and love having accountability and it being something that we choose every day, then I don't think that you can just willy nilly make, you know, decisions that cause your partner to sacrifice and then expect their love to be, you know, unconditional. I think that's a really, um, and, and then, and then it just leads to like missed and um, misaligned expectations for one another. Mm -hmm. Right. If someone says, you know, you should want, you should want to support me no matter what I do. And it's like, no, you need to live in the real world. Right. right? <laughs> like, we have to, we have to provide for our family. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I might be wandering now. Um, no, I think I, that's perfect. No, go ahead. I was just going to say the, the last thing I think is, um, you know, I've had to take some kind of some hard decisions, right. Where ultimately we had considered for a while moving uh, to another state and I thought it would be right for us because, you know, the Bay Area is the most ridiculous place ever in the world in terms of rent and the homes that we would like to purchase are $2 million or more. And um, whereas we could get a house in Austin, Texas for like $400,000, right? Wild, yeah. And it's just buck wild. Mm -hmm. And so um, we, you know, I, we considered it and I realized kind of over time, you know what, this is for me. It's not really for him. <laughs> like his his career and what he's doing and his opportunities, they really are here. Um, mm -hmm. And I had to let go of that wish for us to be able to have that next step in stability mm -hmm. so that I could support his dream of being here in the Bay Area and running a fitness business. Um, not to say it couldn't have been done there, but I would have uprooted him from something that he was really happy in for me. Mm -hmm. And so... I didn't see it as a sacrifice though, because again, I had to base it on what makes sense for our shared family value of stability. And both of us are a piece of that. And so it didn't feel like sacrifice. It felt like um, this is what's right for both of us, not just I'm letting go of what I want, you know? I think that's a perfect example. And I think you mapping it to shared values, it really kind of highlights um, there, I'm trying to think of the name of the book, but it's this book on basically polyamory, but kind of not. Um, and I was reading it and it was talking about like relationship containers and relationship contracts. And basically, I mean, how every relationship polyamorous or not could benefit from some polyamorous principles, which are, you know, having almost a relationship contract or pedestalizing and prioritizing those shared values and your shared goals and where you are aligned. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. And it definitely translates into unconditional love as well. And as long as you two or, you know, three or whomever these people are, this group, this agreement is still mapping to that level of alignment, then it, one, it wouldn't necessarily feel like a sacrifice because you're still, your sights are still set in the same place. And two, it still kind of is conditional because one, it's kind of based on this contract, but two, it's based on an understanding of the person that you married or that you signed up for. And so if those values change, I, you know, I don't even know, is it, is it unconditional love? Because you're almost no longer with the person you thought you were. So if you decide to no longer be with them, like maybe it's still 
unconditional because they've changed so much. I don't know, but I think this is all very connected together, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah. So one other question that was in this list that I wanted to ask you that all connects back um, in terms of like alignment were what traits you think make people compatible for one another? Like what other than shared values, I guess, or is that, is that be all end all to you when it comes to compatibility? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you need to have shared values for sure. Like there need to be things that ground you uh, with one another. Um, I think something that actually, you know, because the question is what makes people compatible, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily what produces a long-term relationship, because I think Good those point. are different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'll speak to both. Yeah. So I think initially like this sense of compatibility or maybe like the attraction um, you have to find some, you have to find things in someone that are different from you, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, biologically, um, you know, scientifically we are attracted to things. And I know Esther Perel talks about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we are actually attracted to the things that are, um, she uses the word like mysterious or like foreign to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Freud talks about, uh, the Heimlich and the unheimlich, which is like, um, essentially like the familiar and the unfamiliar or um, that which is normal to you versus that which is not normal. And there's this space in between that is attractive and interesting to us. And so I think things that, you know, historically have made me attracted to other people. I've had a weird choice in dating throughout my life. <laughs> my friends and family will tell you that. But I always found people who were just so different from me. Hmm. Um, And I think it goes back to what I was saying very early on in our conversation around me wanting to collect people, me wanting to collect experiences. And so I'd I'd initially be really attracted to people who were super different from me, um, just in terms of their likes and their dislikes and how they looked or how they lived their lives, um, you know, their beliefs and, and so on and so forth. And then I realized, oh, like... it's good to have some things that are different, but if you find someone who's wildly different from you, you're not going to stay together um, because they're going to annoy you or you're going to annoy them. Right. Mm -hmm. So then I I guess in terms of then what translates into what produces a healthy and fruitful and potentially long-term relationship. um, Something that I've always said about Kyle is it's kind of hard to articulate. There are pieces of me that are, you know, deep down and kind of locked away and only moments that like, he sees no one else really gets to see them they're they're like the truest purest forms of Alyssa Hmm. I love that and um and not only does Kyle know those things he celebrates those things Mm. he adores and appreciates those things it's really hard for me to even pinpoint what they are Mm -hmm. but like there's moments where I'll say something or do something or act goofy and he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. And he laughs at me. And it's like, but no one else would ever see those moments if I didn't feel comfortable being that person with him. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm not that person in front of anyone else. Um, and he loves those things about me. So I guess in terms of like, it's this, it's this adoration mm-hmm. for those deep parts of you. And, and I think it's also this notion that like, I feel so treasured in my relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just like that. I feel loved. I I mean, there are times when I think that Kyle's very annoyed by me um, (laughs) because I am controlling and picky and I like to tell people how to live their lives. Um, This is just ESTJ things, but um, 
you know, but, but he just, I, I know he treasures me. I know he feels like super lucky. He's like, this is my wife. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that comes back to like, you know, if I had to articulate that into a thought or into like a word, I guess it would be like, uh, like it's this intuitiveness mm-hmm. about the person you're with. Um, like a desire to continually know them, yeah, and to be and to be known by them. Um, I don't know if that's maybe clear enough. I'm not going to give you some cliche thing like, oh, you know, you got to make each other laugh, or you got to like, you know, have the. I, I don't know. I mean, like that's just not us. Like, yeah, he makes me laugh, but that's not like what makes us stay together, mm-hmm. right? Well, and that's why I wanted you on here was because you weren't going to give me any cliches. So I, I appreciate that. That's why you're here. Um, I love that you said there are pieces of you that only he makes you feel safe enough to even share because, I mean, one, that goes kind of back to the whole mirror thing and the visibility piece of you're not going to even surface those aspects of you unless you know they'll be celebrated. But it also goes right, right to that self-esteem. And then also just the fact that you said the pieces of me part that you know, he's kind of mirroring back and celebrating my favorite, like terminology that came out of my love of Love Island is the girls or the guys, because it is a very heteronormative show, unfortunately, will say about each other, they'll say, oh, he's a bit of me, or oh, she's a bit of me. And it's almost like, because Kyle recognizes that part of you, or because he's celebrating it, it's also a bit of him, right? Like, because that level of you isn't manifested or surfaced with anyone else. So by nature, it's also inevitably kind of a part of him too, which is really cool. That's really, really cool. Actually, I have goosebumps right now <laughs> that you just said that. I hadn't considered that actually those pieces are part of who he is now too, mm-hmm. because they're only with him. Exactly. That's really interesting. That's super interesting. It's so special. It's, it's like you're the tapestry of your relationship. And now I'm being the cliche one. So um, from that, <laughs> I will <laughs> move on. Um, so I have to ask you, because when I asked you to pick a dating show, you chose next. And of- immediately, too. <laughs> I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about the minute you brought it up. And the best part is the episode you suggested I watch and that we would talk about is the first one I rewatched to prepare for this. And one of the first words I wrote down, it completely ironically, because you are one of my most, I don't even want to use the term like politically correct, because that term is so kind of negative now, but you are one of my most progressive, you know, <laughs> empathetic, like just philanthropic friends. And the first word I wrote down when I was watching this episode was problematic. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> dying to know. Why do you enjoy Next so much and why the particular episode? And, and do you want to like explain the premise and all of that good stuff? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so the premise of Next is actually it was a, sh- a show that aired on MTV from like 2005, 2008, to 2008, right? Yeah. So it's just over a couple, like three and a half years. But it like revolutionized <laughs> like, the entire generation. It's true. So I went to, I was in high school from 2004 to 2008. Mm-hmm. So like 2005, like these are the most formative years <laughs> of like the sweet spot. My, you know, so that's like this show is just so ingrained in my memory as to like what a relationship or like what flirting and dating looks like, mm-hmm. and it is the worst representation <laughs> of. So okay, so the, the premise is that there is uh, every episode I think has two 
people. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was cool about this show, actually, back in, you know, in the 2000s was that they actually had episodes where there were like gay men mm-hmm. as well. And so that was like somewhat progressive for that time. Yeah. Right. Um, so they would have the person, you know, the datey, um, and they'd be like the main person. Mm-hmm. And then they'd have four people on a bus. And those four people would vie for the time and ostensibly the next date with the person that they were dating. They would come off the bus and they would spend some time with that person until inevitably that person found something that they didn't like and they would yell next (laughs) and that person would have to go back to the bus and then the next person would get off, introduce themselves and whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So something that really interests me about next is that, you know, this was perfectly placed in between you know, this was in the early ages of social media, right? Yeah. Facebook, MySpace, especially was very popular. And this was like perfectly placed in between this obsession with game shows, mm-hmm. right? Like the who wants to be a millionaire, the yeah. like that whole world with, you know, what we have today in terms of like modern dating television, right? Like The Bachelor and all of that. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting to me about Next is a piece that I have purposefully left out uh, in the description. (laughs) So every minute that you spend off the bus, quote unquote, dating the main contestant, you make money. And the longer you stay, the more money you get. And if you are the last person that is off the bus, if you know, it could be the very first person that gets off the bus or it could be the last person. And the main contestant chooses you they'll say to you you know would you like to go on another date with me you as you know a dater as a contestant have the choice to either take the money (laughs) or to go on a second date and so you know I don't know of any other show like this Mm -hmm. so the 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 concept of commodification within dating Mm. is so fast and I'm not trying to go like Marxist on you no I love it (laughs) Um, as a critical theorist, That's right, what we're here for. Yeah. right, this is what interests me so much. And so also, you know, this is before the dating apps that we have today, but this was our very first glimpse into the swipe, life, swipe, swipe left, swipe right culture. Totally. Um, because many times someone would get off the bus and they would walk three steps and the main contestant would yell next mm-hmm. and they'd have to go right back to the bus. And that's what we do. Well, not me. Um, but that's what folks do every day on dating apps. They swipe left, swipe right. You know, it's maybe not as explicitly thrown into that person's face, mm-hmm. but it's that gut reaction, yes or no. And this was our first glimpse into that. So I know there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, and we can go, we can go into the activities, we can go into this particular episode and you know, what I've written down actually is this is the most socially unacceptable and racist episode yes. that I've ever seen. <laughs> So yeah, explain. Well, and that one piece that was really interesting on the race front, at least was they, I mean, I think in a lot of other dating shows, they just are colorblind and it's terrible, right? They don't acknowledge someone's identity in that sense. Um, And so there were aspects of this where I was like, okay, this could be maybe seen as celebratory, or at least it's acknowledging that, you know, charity is a person of color or, you know, someone else on there is a person of color, that that part is good. There's no erasure there. But then 
there's all these tropes and stereotypes and jokes made and you're like, oh God, like, no, <laughs> you know, there were aspects here that could have been promising given it was back in 2005 or 2008. And then all of a sudden, you know, they took a, a far whatever turn and, and you're just kind of so disappointed now in 2020. And I mean, unfortunately we weren't necessarily disappointed back then because we weren't as aware of these kinds of things. I would say right. most of us. They but, were funny then, right? Right, which is just so wild. Um, but yeah, I mean, the disposability aspect too, like this was literally yeah. the original thank you next, like yeah, just immediately onto the next person. Humans are disposable. If I don't like what I see, if I don't appreciate the vibe onto the next one, I definitely, I wrote down in my notes, this is, you know, the beginnings of app culture for sure. And the other aspect, because I will say everyone else that I've talked to, about different dating shows has pretty much mentioned next. So to your point, it kind of laid the foundation for dating shows, which is fascinating. The closest thing I've seen recently is Dating Around, which was a Netflix show that came out last right. year. Yeah. Right. And it, it, the same thing, kind of disposability. They would go on one date with multiple people. And then at the end, they would pick who they wanted a second date with. And you're really surprised. It, it really was unpredictable. And there were several upsets. And that was the same with next, I felt like I could never totally understand or pinpoint why it was kind of on to the next. But um, yeah, I mean, which which aspect do you want to deep dive first? What soapbox yes, do maybe, you want to hop on? <laughs> so maybe let's talk about the episode, right? Yeah. So that folks can get a kind of understanding. So, um, I mean, there were so many episodes of next, um, but this particular episode, I think both both of the episodes and, and why it always sticks out of my mind and probably why you saw it first is because it's so famous. Yeah. Um, and and so what happens is that it's actually all stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Charity was a former dater. So she was on the bus. She actually fell off the bus when she was getting down. <laughs> and that's sort of like her claim to fame. And so to kind of preface that, right, every time someone gets off the bus, I mean, this is like the most scripted television show ever, right? (laughs) Um, Everyone has like a quick little bio, exactly what they would see, you know, on a dating app today. And most of the time, people say extremely vulgar, um, you know, socially inept, uh, you know, racist, xenophobic things, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, misogynist, whatever, like, you know. There was one girl one time who was like, you know, I don't need brains because I have these and like squeezed her boobs together. Right. Like (laughs) this is the the self degradation Mm -hmm. um, was astounding. Um, And so that was funny. Right. Like the way that people degraded themselves, Mm -hmm. um, especially for a show where they're about to be commodified. Right. They're about to be (laughs) like turned into sums of money. Mm -hmm. Right. Where they count down the clock. Um, And so this particular episode you know, Charity meets four different guys, all, again, who were on a previous episode, mm-hmm. many who lasted like a minute or less. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the first and opening activity that they do, because when you get off the bus, there's different activities that people go through to either either see if they're compatible or just, you know, to make the viewers laugh. And the first activity is the daters having to recreate their version of charity's fall off the bus so again it's this it's almost like next making fun of itself Mm -hmm. for how ridiculous and you know sort of uh asinine this show is it's very self-aware yeah um 
and so the way and you know they 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 wrap the contestants up in like safety goggles and leg <laughs> braces to ensure that they don't actually hurt themselves and the first two guys that fall down do an awful job um so it's just it's hilarious right and yeah. um so then the third contestant um he's south asian they have a picnic together he has sort of a you know, a thicker sort of South Asian accent. The guys on the bus make fun of him um, because apparently, you know, one guy says to him, um, like something about like, you know, where did you pay to learn your English or something? Yeah, like how much um, did that sentence cost you or something? Oh, that's like, right. Oh, cringe. That's terrible. Right. So yeah. cringy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then he like teaches her how to, you know, she charity asks him like where are you from and he's he says i'm from india and she says oh have you been to bollywood like so you know presumptive and and so he like shows her how to do like a bollywood dance it's just it's so racist and so over the top (laughs) um and yeah so i mean i don't want to give the entire thing away if folks are actually dying to watch the episode i do recommend that you do um so, I mean, before I move on, I guess, like, what were some things that you found to be interesting about the episode? Yeah, I mean, well, and also one of the contestants, when he got nexted, then flashed everyone and literally. Yeah, so I'm just not going to go into it. But um, <laughs> yeah, trigger warning for that, to be honest. Like, yeah, good call. The reason why it's actually famous um, is actually mostly because the first contestant um, chases someone around with his penis out and it is so cringy um like today we would no one would air that on television no um because it was seen as a joke or funny then but today in the age of me too Mm -hmm. like it's completely in every way you know it's sexual harassment yeah girls around him because there's people that are cheering charity on um it's 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 um uncomfortable Mm -hmm. right i'm and I think back to when I saw that we we used to think it was just funny, right? And knowing what I know now, I'm like, you know, men get off with impunity, yeah, doing shit like this, right? Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast. You can, yep, um, you can. <laughs> so, anyways, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it was just it was just wild to me. I mean, all the different aspects there, and then um, in the second half of the same episode one of the girls gets nexted within 30 seconds because he called her to granola. She looked like a hippie for him. I don't, it was just really, um, and that part, I mean, obviously wasn't offensive in the same way that the whole rest of the episode was, but it was just so, I, I completely forgot how uncomfortable this show could get. And at the time it, it hadn't even unlocked this level of discomfort that we now would experience watching it. So it was just fascinating to me. And yet there are still a lot of aspects of it that are permeating dating culture today and app culture and pop culture and, and all of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that was really I was just so surprised with all of that. But I was wondering, like, I, and I was Googling before this, too. Are there any couples that have actually stayed together from Next and Shocker? They can't find any. There's nothing there. Um, right. but, <laughs> but I was wondering, like, did you do you feel now? I mean, we know it's very scripted and all of that, but did you feel there was some validity in some of either the activities they would have them do or some of the questions? Because I mean, the Benjamin, the guy in the second half, did next one of the women for not being as career driven as he was. And that, I mean, actually is very 
similar to some of the conversations that are had on Terrace House, which is this Japanese dating show that I've fallen in love with and I'm doing a whole episode on. And, you know, they talk a lot about career and ambitions there. And so it was cool to see that be actual criteria in this episode because it usually feels so surface level. So I don't know, just, yeah, thoughts on on the compatibility aspect or the, the algorithm, if you will, that they were using at that time? I mean, <clears throat> so from what I've heard, and I've actually read like Reddit AMAs mm-hmm. of contestants that were on Next and it's amazing. Parental Control, and you remember all those shows oh, on yeah. TV, right? And the show is not like a real dating show, right? <laughs> the, I think they're knowing that now. I don't, because, so I don't know based on, um, the activities they had people go through and the actual contestants, like, because a lot of those contestants, you know, were not actually looking to date exactly they were on the show. Um, and they, you know, they were wildly scripted. Right. So I don't know how, I mean, but, but then it leads us to this question of like, how real are the dating profiles that we put out, you know, on, totally. on apps, right? Like, <laughs> is are those you know better versions of of compatibility I mean I don't I don't think so mm-hmm. um so in any case I mean I think your main question here is like are there any good judgments of character yeah. right or <laughs> um so yeah I think there there is an episode um I don't know if you remember also the show Room Raiders I loved Room Raiders absolutely okay so I mean there's like it was a similar thing on room raiders. Like, you know, they would choose to date someone based on the quality of their room. Like, so I, I think what it was is they were, they were staring at their very personal stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or like finding interest. And I, and I think a similar thing happens on next when they have them do activities where they actually get to show their personality. Mm-hmm. So there, there was an episode where they had them do karaoke. Um, and so I think, that was actually actually probably a good um, if someone's like a good sport and goes up there and has fun, makes a fool of themselves, is just having a great time. I think that actually is a good indicator of maybe the type of person that person is, even if it's just for show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good indicator. You know, I, I don't know how many of the just have a meal together, you know, activities other than maybe the fact that they're having a conversation right. um, <laughs> is useful, but. I think, you know, some of my favorite episodes are the ones where they cook something together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I think one of your questions to me was, uh, were there any activities that like you would actually yes. want to do? Right. Yeah. And I think that's what I would choose to do. You know, activity that I, if I were to go on that show or have suitors, I would definitely <laughs> want to do a cooking activity, not only because I find it fun because, but because I think it's like, it's a technical skill. It mm-hmm. like causes you to be sort of intimate with one another. You can have good conversation. You know, food is obviously an aphrodisiac. I, I think that yeah. the cooking activities are really fun. Um, I don't know if you saw any of the episodes that had cooking in them, like baking or making food together, like dinner together. Yeah, not recently, but definitely when I was in high school, same thing. Yeah, I had seen all the episodes for sure and remember those. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny you say that because in Terrace House, this Japanese dating show, when one of the female members of the house cooks a meal for one of the male members, it is very intimate. It is a huge deal. She'll learn a new recipe. And if he likes it, you know, that's, that's a really big deal for whether or not they can move forward in pursuing a relationship. So I think it's fabulous um, and very on topic that you chose uh, making a meal together or cooking for the other person. It's really interesting. Yeah. 
It's great. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that you mentioned too, though, like how representative is a dating profile um, or how reflective is it truly of someone? Because obviously we're going to put our best selves forward in a little, you know, quick bio that we can write up. And when I was speaking with the relationship therapist, what Anita said was she hates dating culture and, and app culture today because it creates a false sense of compatibility because you'll look at someone's profile and you'll say, oh yeah, well, I love dogs too. And I'm a Sagittarius too. And you'll pick these really arbitrary things that are not at all related to compatibility back to a, you know earlier conversation on shared values, which actually matters. Um, and it provides you like this false sense of hope, false sense of security and false sense of alignment. So um, it is, I mean, yeah, they'll pick these weird tidbits to introduce the characters and I, I'm next. And I love that aspect because similar to you, what I always say is I collect like quirks of people. I, I love knowing people's quirks and their intricacies and all of that. So it's just like really fun to know what people are doing in their spare time that maybe less people are doing and they end up digging up these weird facts about them. But it does <laughs> provide that false sense of, oh, you know, this is a quirky person or whatever. Um, but I just love that you picked this show. Is there anything else about this show that you wanted to cover that you think is relevant to like love and dating culture today? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that kind of interested me, and I, I, I probably have already touched on it, right? But it's almost like the instantaneous gut feeling mm -hmm. um, that folks have, right? I mean, I know it's it's completely scripted. Um, you know, people are fed their lines. The activities they do are completely scripted. Um, even the descriptions of people when they're coming off the bus, all of that is completely scripted, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I do think like the reactions of someone saying like next, you know, is very much what we see today. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's, I'm not saying that next is a great example or that we should idolize it as being a leader, you know, or anything, but, <laughs> but I do think it, um, sort of plays upon this idea that if it's not a hell yes, it's a no, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's not the case for everyone, right? There are people who I, I know who are married today, who they met, did not like each other, took some time to get to know each other, eventually started dating, whatever. Right. But it's yeah. almost like, you know. I remember meeting Kyle for the first time, you know, we actually met through Instagram and this was well before, you know, dating apps and, you know, DMs didn't even exist when we <laughs> met. Um, so we met, he commented on my Instagram, we started emailing for a while and I knew really quickly after like looking at him on Instagram that I was attracted to him. And then, you know, we met in person and I was like, oh, hell yes. I said, you know, <laughs> we met at the gym and I signed him onto my gym membership. Oh within God. like 10 minutes of meeting him in person. Right. Oh. Um, oh. So, yeah, I mean, and we've been together ever since. And it really was like a hell yes for me. And so maybe there is, um, a, you know, again, maybe this is my black and white absolute <laughs> um, moment. But I do think that uh, a relationship, at least from the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, it should be a hell yes. I don't think that there actually should be, um, you know, this like, wishy-washy I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm not sure like I I think that there are so many mediocre things in life and that mm -hmm. like love should not be one of them yeah. um and then I think th the other thing it, you know and I again I touched on it is um the commodification of people um mm -hmm. the the way in which people and I know that um from reading some reddit amas I know that folks were paid a hundred dollars as a flat fee and then a dollar for every minute that they lasted on top of that oh um 
and I get it, you know, it's an acting job. It's a gig, right? Yeah. But it's so interesting to me, and it almost feels like a Black Mirror episode. Um, you know, we live in the Black Mirror. <laughs> we really do, especially right now. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, this, this notion that people are only as good as the time that they can last um, that people hmm. will be paid for the work they can do within a certain amount of time and just the way that becomes, um, you know, uh, a mechanic of that particular dating game. Um, you know, they, it would have been successful. It would have been just as funny, you know, even without mm-hmm. the time, you know, you don't need a clock counting down, but the, in order for, you know, someone to have some kind of stakes at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Should I take the money or should I, you know, stay with this person? Like, because ultimately sometimes when someone says, you know, I would like to go on a second date with you, they've only been together for maybe, you know, 56 minutes. Right. So it's, it's you know, it's like take the $56 or go on another date with me. It's like $56 is not a lot of money. Right. Right. Um, but so that's always, it always interested me. Right. When people would say, no, I'm going to take my, you know, my $64 and like, buy, you know, what are you going to do with $64? I don't know. Like, right. <laughs> it, 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 like the stakes would be much higher, right? If it were like, oh, you last until the end, you get $10,000, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I always just, I always found that to be very interesting that people are reduced down to, you know, what it would cost you to go out for dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's basically what it is. Um, yeah, it's it's like performative and basically saying you're only as good as the value you can provide on the spot in this limited amount of time. Like basically putting a price on what someone can contribute in a way. Right. And so like that, I think that's why it hits double as hard when (laughs) someone walks off the bus and they're immediately nexted, right? Not only are they crushed, like maybe emotionally, but they're also stripped away from capital. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I know I'm getting Marxist now. I love Um, it. So, yeah, I mean, so those are just, those are some interesting concepts to me. Um, (laughs) And this show just still to this day cracks me up. I think MTV really did spearhead a movement of, you know, date my mom and, you know. (laughs) God, I forgot about that one. Yeah. I mean, they really did. They were the first of it. Um, So we have five minutes before this app kicks us off, which is kills me but um the one thing I think would be a good thing to end on because this whole idea of if it's not a hell yes it's a hell no when I spoke with the relationship therapist what Anita was saying was she thinks that app culture kind of um is really kind of enforcing that a bit too much and that we were leaning too much again into this whole disposability aspect and we're not giving people enough time to shine through but I tend to lean more on your side of like when you know you know and it's pretty immediate so I'm just curious I guess when you do hear people saying oh you know it was it was so so I'm gonna give it one more date or something along those lines like what are your thoughts on that yeah that's tough right um I think more so what I hear is that like a person is talking to someone and that person is being non-responsive or they are (laughs) not putting in as much effort as this person would like, you know, or they've made plans and then that person ghosts them and then doesn't get back to them for like a day or two. Um, those are the scenarios where I'm like, look, uh, if this, and maybe it goes back to what you were saying earlier in our time, which is if you cared, you would make an effort, um, right? you would put forth the time or you'd communicate and say, 
you know, it's like, it's like at, at your work, you don't just like not show up to stuff, right? Like right. <laughs> you make an effort because it's important to you. So if, if something is a priority for you and if someone you're interested in is a priority to you, then you, then you communicate with them, you let them know. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think, yeah, you've got to give people a chance. Of course. I, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that sometimes you're right. I mean, again, I was never on a dating app, right? Kyle and I right. met before that. So I can only imagine that, um, it, it exacerbates that feeling right from the mm-hmm. beginning. Uh, either I, I, I need to be immediately attracted to this person and, and, you know, immediately interested in them intellectually, but you yeah. haven't met that person in person. Right. Right. So I think, I think, you know, give people a chance, go and meet them in person. You know, I went on a date with someone before I met Kyle who I thought they were really great when we were talking online and, and everything. And then, um, met them in person and, they had like lied about a bunch of stuff, you know, Ooh. I mean, not <laughs> no. that this matters necessarily, but like they said that they were 5'10". I'm 5'10". This person was like 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, I was like, uh, oh. like, which is fine. The- right. But like in that sense, I was like, why are you lying though? You know? And yeah, a bunch you're of starting other things. off by lying. doesn't yeah. matter what it is. It's not good. <laughs> right. Like the person said that they were like a doctor and they're like, well, actually, like I'm actually applying to be pre-med. I was like, uh, oh. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it can go the opposite way too, right? Someone can sound amazing online. You're like, hell yeah. And then you meet them in person. You're like, oh gosh, not at all. Right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, but I do think ultimately, you know, back to your initial question, we, we as humans have intuition, right? We know we, we, we have this, we do have a gut feeling. I mean, what that is, is it's actually your limbic system, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your prefrontal cortex is the newest part of your brain. It's your logical, rational thought. But oftentimes mm-hmm. your limbic system, which is where your emotions come from, you know, when people are like, oh, I'm going to go with my gut or I'm going to go with my heart. It's not your heart. It's not your gut. It's your brain. It's your limbic system. Yeah. You know, it's, it's drawing upon emotion. It's drawing upon feeling. And then what it does oftentimes is because all the resources are rushing to your limbic system, it's shutting down your prefrontal cortex, which is your logical thinking brain. I mean, mm. love is, is a, like a primal emotion. Right? Like, and so <laughs> totally. it shut down our logical thinking. Um, yes. You know, and then, and then obviously, you know, there are other things that are like driving, you know, attraction and sexual attraction and all those things. Right. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I think that you need to trust your gut because really what it is, is you're trusting your limbic system. (laughs) I, I love that so much. And there's so much, you know, physiology that we could get into too. And a lot of the books I've been reading have talked about that. Um, but I want to make sure that this recording saves and doesn't cut us off. So um, I'm going to thank you so much for being on. Oh, it is a joy. Such a blast. You are the absolute best. And um, yeah, I'm going to close it out here. And then I'm going to call you right back just to debrief really quickly. Great. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Alyssa. Well, that's all I've got this week. Thank you so, so much for being here.